Garrett Fisher and Tori Ellison created the installation Mikawa in 2017 for the Jack Straw New Media Gallery. I sat down with Garrett and Tori in the Jack Straw Studios to talk about the inspiration they drew from no theater, the yin and yang symbolism of irises, and their history of collaboration in theatrical projects. When you enter the gallery space, what is it that you encounter? It's dark. It's the first thing. And um, I think your eyes gradually adjust and you start to see that there's blue light and panels of fabric hanging. And as you enter the gallery, I think that becomes more and more prevalent. And then what you view are three hanging panels of kind of translucent fabric with reflective fabric. And in the background behind that, three hanging fiber optic blue panels. And they're about, what, eight feet by three feet each. And then in the far corner of the gallery, you'll see there's um, a colored image of an iris, which is on material called Duratrans. It's a translucent photograph. And there are actually two photographs that are superimposed, but I don't think you know that. You see this kind of suggestion that the the flower image is morphing, I guess, mm -hmm. in the photograph. And, um, and it's just kind of like this spot of color um, in this room that's just very minimalist blue panels hanging. And, and the important thing is, is that there's a fan blowing, so the panels are sort of gently wafting, and it's alluding to water. The sound in it is um, based on a recording that I created here called The Iris, which was sort of the genesis of how it all came about. It's based on a no play, a Japanese no play. So it's all sung in ancient Japanese, so you don't really know what they're saying. So you're really forced to listen to the sound of the voices. One of the metaphors of the music is the idea of a river. And so the music is supposed to sound kind of like a river that just keeps flowing on and on, and there is a sense of development. and you know, dramatic climax, and there is sort of a sense of narrative, but because you don't know what they're saying, it's not really important what they're saying, but how they're singing. The speakers are actually installed on the ceiling, pointing down, so when you come in, you can hear the sound kind of coming down into the room. So you kind of enter this very immersive experience. One of the key parts of this piece is a five-line poem. And in Japanese literature, a lot of poems are kind of recirculated and reinvented through the centuries. So the first time that this poem has really appeared, as far as I know, was in the Japanese epic, The Tales of Issa, which was a thousand years ago. And that work is a series of these episodes, um, which don't really have a plot. 
but they're just, and they could even just be fragments that have been saved over time. But one of the fragments or an episode is a story of a poet who leaves the capital um, sort of in search of meaning in his life, and he seems lost. And he and some friends travel to a place called Mikawa. When they arrive there, the friends uh, tell him to write a poem based on the image of an iris. And the word iris in Japanese, ancient Japanese, is kakitsubata. So it's five syllables. And he creates a poem where the first syllable of each line spells the word kakitsubata. So it's kind of like a game almost. And But the poem is all about missing the loved one that he's left in order to go search for the meaning in his life. So there's kind of a paradox about traveling to find yourself, but then you realize, you know, home is where the heart is, sort of. But by folding in the image of the iris, or the word kakitsubata, he's actually sort of taking that image of the iris, which is also a metaphor for the union of yin and yang and male and female. He's folding in that image into this poem. So within a five-line poem, it's a very deep, complex, poetic experience. that yin and yang of the iris itself. And Tori, because you're working with the visuals, I wonder if with the installation, if you are also working with that yin and yang um, in terms of textures or colors or shapes. Um, well, I was working with the idea of shadow and light, and I suppose that that can be translated to that. That's uh, a traditional uh, interest and theme in Japanese art. I think they call it noten. They're very interested in shadow and light in their architecture and in their drawings and paintings. So I think I was interested in that. I was definitely interested in the symbolism of um, life and death, mortality. And it's actually an image I've used in my artwork before for the flower being sort of anthropomorphic that way. And one of the key things about the, the episode that I was describing is that they come to Mikawa, which has this eight stream spider-like river that they come to and that sort of is that river image which is really key and it is also kind of symbolic of the passage of life and mm -hmm. and which is something that you found really intriguing mm -hmm. i think it literally translates as makawa is river of life in japanese so um we kind of tend to love these themes garrett mm -hmm. and i <laughs> i don't know why <laughs> Right, and you know the iris are right there in the stream. So, yeah. so he came to the the river where the iris were. So it's mm -hmm. all kind of connected in this natural surrounding. Yeah, I mean, I guess the only one thing I would add is that all during this, I've been looking at a lot of Japanese prints of light on water, and as particularly evening images of light on water. And I started to realize from looking at those prints that actually the compositions are extremely simple. They have a lot of 
really beautiful detail in them. But the more and more you look at them, what you see are just these very spare geometries or very spare shapes. And so um, there really was a, a link from that to the panel piece in the gallery um, and kind of coming to understand how Japanese art can work, but doing it with this new media of these little tiny lights and that sort of provided the detail. You mentioned that these are themes the both of you are interested in that come up in your work quite a bit. I know that you have collaborated with each other for a long time. Were you like, we want to collaborate yet again on another piece, or was it the spark of the idea? Were you inspired by this poem, or how did it come about? Well, I think it started for me just because I had first got the artist um, support program here a couple of years ago to create the recording, so that had sort of started. And then I knew that uh, Jack Straw had this new media gallery, and I was like, oh, let's, you know, what can we do? Uh, we've worked a lot in live theater and live performance, which um, is just a whole different, you know, system of thinking and and working. In live theater, there's a lot of deadlines that you have to meet, um, constantly changing things, the budget, the, you know, there's a problem or you learn something later, so you have to really work on the fly. And we were both trying to come up with a an experience that wasn't live theater, but was an experience that felt very immersive and something that people could really enter and feel transformed by. And so I thought, like, I was like, oh, this program is perfect because, you know, it's this gallery and there's so many ways that you could dream up something in there. That's kind of, I think, when I approached you about it. Mm-hmm. And then I've worked with Garrett a lot, so um, of course I really am taken by his music and and these themes in particular. Um, I love Japanese art, and um, some of my own studio work has been kind of oriented that way towards landscape and Japanese brush painting and all that kind of thing. But what was nice about this opportunity was to bring in the notion of it being more contemporary and using more technical materials. And um, as Garrett said, it's kind of a perfect gallery to just try new things. And um, that's where the idea of of working with the fiber optic panels came in, because Garrett's music uses new media. And um, we just thought it would be interesting to try something that wasn't um, known so much as a traditional art form to kind of update the mythology. Are you typically doing set designs? Well, with Garrett, I am. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and costuming. Uh-huh. So what's the difference for you in this collaboration when you're designing sets and costumes versus creating for this gallery installation? Well, I'm mostly a gallery artist, and I kind of moved into collaboration working with Garrett and doing theater work. So that's really my background. Um, 
it was interesting on this piece because I'd recently done a lot of theater work with Garrett. We just did a, uh, an opera in Los Angeles, uh, Monticello Wakes, which is based on the story of Thomas Jefferson and um, his slave and mistress, Sally Hemings. And so I, I was really kind of in that theater world quite a lot last year um, from working on that. And moving into this space, I realized I had to kind of negotiate that again to like what's a theater piece and what's a gallery piece. Um, because theater pieces, there's often sort of a story that the objects are, are telling. In a gallery piece, the work really stands on its own. It's got to have that just immediate visual impact and maybe that it's not necessarily got a subtext or a, a relationship to a text or a performer. So um, actually this was really nice for me to return to that kind of work of just, you know, trusting the work to have just its own visual impact. But we did find that it was really important with the music that it also the art kind of incorporated some kind of movement and had some sense of human presence. So I think that um, when we we decided to bring in the fan to have the, the panels move slightly, that that really just brought the whole thing alive. So it is, in a way, it's kind of between, I think, being um, a standard visual art exhibition with sound whatever that may be, that can take so many forms. Right, as if that is a standard. Yeah, yeah. right. But it's it's also sort of has an implied theater element, I think. And I, I guess that what I like to think of is that, um, that the viewer actually becomes a participant, almost like they're in that space, Makawa. And they're the person contemplating. They're sitting by the, the river, that they have that, get to have that experience viscerally. We live in a society where there's so much stuff and so much saturated media that the idea of taking away stuff feels very naked. And so I think that by stripping it away, you get more visceral and you become more, it becomes more experiential and immersive as opposed to a thing that you're, you're thinking about. What does this mean? What does that mean? And with this, what I really appreciate is that you can just walk in and it feels almost like a little temple that you enter. So One thing I've appreciated is just the support we've gotten from Jack Straw in creating this piece from the start, like from the genesis to the completion. And the one unique thing about this is their recording studio as a concept for creation of music, as opposed to just it being like a place where you record music to have on recording to give to people. But this really allowed me the opportunity to compose a piece in this whole new way for me, as opposed to writing it down, having people perform it and then record it, to really feel like I had the time and so I could relax, um, not that I was paying someone by the hour, but instead just like I could just bring these people in one after the other, take time to listen to them, and then take time to edit and 
you know, create a recording in an environment where it's really open-minded. And I think there's so many different kinds of music projects that are done here of all different genres that there's really no, um, there's no one thing. Oftentimes venues and organizations, whether they say so, are often very specific in terms of their aesthetic. And so what's a pre- what I appreciated about that the residency, both the the recording half and then the new media gallery half was just like the open-endedness that they trusted us to come up with something that was true to who we were as opposed to like what we thought should be, you know. So I think that makes Jack Straw a very unique place um, as a place to generate really, you know, new material that takes risks and really supports the artist's Artists are first in that way. So I think that's really wonderful. Yeah, I absolutely agree. And it's just so wonderful to have a space that, as Garrett was saying, that really supports process, works in process, and um, and collaboration. And it's a un- very unusual opportunity for a visual artist to have all this wonderful opportunity to work with sound. Because the music has had quite an evolution, right? It, mm-hmm. The music was the genesis in terms of what you recorded here. Mm-hmm. Was the next step to bring it to this piece in the new media, or what has been the trajectory for this piece as it takes on different forms? So this piece was written in 2013, and we performed it, my Fisher Ensemble, we, we performed it in Cologne. And that was so. that's basically the first time it was really premiered as a live piece. I think it was that year that I got the grant to record it here. So as I started recording it, you know, when you record it or change medium, it really does change everything. You know, the context shifts. So I really did start recomposing the piece, I think, by putting it into a recording. Um, For example, one of the elements of the live recording was that there was a guitar and a bass guitar. And in this, I kind of created this instrument based on recorded sounds that sounds kind of like a guitar but it goes really low and it also twangs and there's a vibrato element so it sounds like a koto so i really tried to create sort of this bizarre techno instrument that gives the illusion it's a live performer playing it but it's actually all fake you know well done because i had no idea (laughs) it's like i think we need to make it sound like it twangs here a little bit more like you know they've mishit it a little bit or you know like um or like with the koto, you can actually put your finger down on the string and wobble it so it sounds like a vibrato. Um, so I really tried to put those things in just at the right time so it really did sound like the performer was a superb musician who just magically would hit that right moment. So was really recomposed from the live performance as a recording. And I really wanted to create a recording that did not feel like a document of a live performance, but did feel like an experience that people could just enjoy on that level. have plans for um, the work that you've put into this piece to continue to evolve in other forms or do you sort of feel like this is the thing 
Well, never say never. No. (laughs) I think this is just another stop along the way, sort of. I mean, it does feel like a development of the past because we've really had time to really, you know, we don't have the constraints of live performance, so we can really, in a way, we're putting our best foot forward because I can make a recording of how I would want it to sound, and you have a room that's completely pitch black, Mm -hmm. and you can just do whatever you want, you know. So I feel like it's been a really great experience that way. But I would love to actually, um, a couple years ago, I worked with a Japanese no master, and he lives in Japan, and I would really love to find a way to bring this to Japan um, and to have like a combo thing where this would be an installation and like a Japanese no troop would present the original Kakitsubata piece alongside it or something or, you know, in the similar venue or something. Um, that's one thing I'd like to take this piece forward. But I think just in general, there's going to be other opportunities that will happen. Yeah, and, you know, and every space provides sort of a different opportunity. And um, I, I really like the simplicity of this piece, and it's just been a great way to begin, I think, and very grateful for that opportunity. Do you also have sort of sparks of imagination in your mind? You know, if it were to take on this next shape, like Garrett was mentioning, do you start to go, okay, this makes me buzz and think about these other possibilities? Yeah, it does. Um, I'd like to keep the purity that we sort of Mm -hmm. have achieved in this piece. Yeah, you're right. It, it, It lives in parallel worlds where it that spareness does have a contemporary feel to it, but it also makes it timeless well, yeah. as well. Well, yeah, mm-hmm. and Garrett, we've talked about that, you know, where you're just sort of, I, don't, I forget how you describe that, that kind of time that you can be in the present and the past at the same time. Yeah, like the universal present. That's Someone what you call it. Someone yeah. described it once. Yeah, the universal present. What is your hope for what somebody would take away after experiencing this piece? I think you've touched on it a little bit. But is there something you want them, an experience you want them to have while they're in there or something that they take with them as they go along? You know, one thing that I was really intrigued by during the opening night, you know, people are coming and they might never have seen something like this before or they might not have listened to music that's classical crossover or whatever you describe it as. Um, But I think because it is such a visceral experience because, like, you took out so much that I felt like there was sort of this really almost unanimous feeling that when people came in, they just, you'd see them all just kind of like glom onto this thing, this the, the image of the panels, you know. And so I think there's a sense of, it's almost magnetic. It's like you kind of get sucked in. And I think that people, in my experience from what they told me, they, they were like, they didn't quite know how to respond to it at first because it was just some, not like anything they'd really ever seen um, that you walk in and it's just so peaceful on a level, but it's also hopefully engaging. And that I think that they didn't expect that. I think they were expecting to come to kind of like this art show. You know, like you said, you walk into a gallery and you're focusing on the piece. And there can be wonderful things like that too. But I think this just is a little bit more like it requires you because it's dark when you walk in. So like at first you're disoriented. And then as you slowly grow accustomed, you kind of see what's happening and it forces you to step it down a notch a little bit, which I think not a lot of pieces do that. Yeah, and I think it's a permissive space to just kind of experience things in a sensate way. Um, So, 
you can kind of get past the intellectualizing and really experience the artwork bodily. It seemed like people were doing that at the opening, that they really were spending time in there, and, and that not having to interpret sort of gives you space to really hear. Garrett Fisher and Tori Ellison's Mikawa was created through the Jack Straw New Media Gallery Residency Program. Podcast interviewer is Alyssa Keen. Produced by Alyssa Keen and Joel Maddox. Engineers are Daniel Gunther and Joel Maddox. Jack Straw Executive Director is Joan Rabinowitz. The Jack Straw Artist Residency Programs are made possible with support from the Seattle Office of Arts and Culture, Four Culture King County Lodging Tax Fund, Washington State Arts Commission, National Endowment for the Arts, Arts Fund, and individual contributors. Oh, 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 oh,